How are we doing, mates? Welcome back to The Top Step. My name is Ryan Roland-Smith. Awesome episode. I'm actually recording the same day. I'm going to put this out. I'm going to work hard to try and get this thing out. I was a little bit behind last week. Baseball started back, so I had a lot going on. I'm doing that and a lot of other things I'm trying to, trying to get done in my week. Uh, and I got the two, the two tin lids, the kids downstairs. Um, so I'm trying to put it all together. But I'm going to put this episode at the same day um, because my next guest, uh, who I'm about to get to in a second, and I talk about a few things that happened today around Major League Baseball. Um, so... With, it, with, with no further ado, my next guest, this was an awesome conversation. Dave Sims, the play-by-play -play announcer on TV for the Seattle Mariners, and I spent a rock-solid session talking about a bunch of stuff. He is, man, you sometimes you forget. If you're a Mariners fan, he's been here for 14 years. And by the way, I kind of screwed up the math too because his first year was my first year as a player, 2007. I remember him coming into the locker room. He was this guy just bursting in with energy. I'm a young player. And he was, coming, he was going around the, the locker room trying to get to know everyone. Obviously, he'd done his, his research. And he came up to me and said, hey, how you doing, young man? My name's Dave Sims. I'm, I'm the play-by-play the, the -play announcer. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, uh, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, hold on, the play-by-play -play announcer wants to talk to me? But this guy was just so, Dave Sims was just so locked in because he was trying to do the rounds and, and everything else. But um, that's where I first met him. I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, and uh, so... Here, here I am as a player. Now I'm done playing. I'm back on the broadcasting side. And I remember going back 2015, uh, back to Seattle to sit down and, and meet with my now boss, John Bradford over at Root Sports and, and hang out with Kevin Martinez, who really gave me um, this big opportunity, him and Randy Adamak. Uh, I owe them a lot. But I walk into to back then Safeco Field. I walk in. And they said, oh, yeah, come up, to the, come up to the radio booth and come up to the TV booth. And it's before the game. And there's, there's Dave. And, you know, I'm a little bit apprehensive. I mean, I hadn't been there for years, right? Like, I, I'd been on with other teams. I'm like, you know, are these people going to remember me? You know what I mean? Like, what am I doing here, basically? It was just, I was extremely nervous, put it that way. I walk in and Dave comes right up to me. He says, hey, it's good to see you. How you been? And, and like, like we you know, seen each other a week ago. And it just gave me a comfort level to the point where basically – that same literally in 20 minutes i jump on the radio they said i'll oh, throw the headphones on boom i jump on the radio and start giving a breakdown i had no idea what i was doing but um you know dave's like oh can we get a photo this it was just that feeling of uh comfort which helped me out so i i owe dave a lot for um welcoming me, me back that way but we have a great conversation man what a crazy time 2020 we've got the 60 game season we're dealing with we have the black lives matter movement which obviously um you know dave being one of the only african-american broadcasters in baseball um it hit, hit him pretty hard uh so we talk about that we talk about the fact there's only seven percent of major league rosters made up from 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 black players why that is he has an amazing um amazing scope on on why he thinks that is it's it's interesting uh we talk about his days in new york uh on tv and radio the biggest market biggest sports uh sports market in in the country really um do it tackling that uh from from being a young guy and and going to new york starting with the new york daily news uh and and diving into that and now he's time with the Mariners. But we cover a lot, man. It, 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 it was a lot of fun. It was, it was good. And um, one of the biggest things I take away from Dave and, and uh, being a young, uh, young broadcaster trying to you know, still learn from the best, one thing he said to me, and we, we discussed this, is get down to the clubhouse. I have the credentials. Get down and get to know these players. And again, I was a little standoffish when I started because, and believe it or not, if you're listening to this, you're like, oh, there's no way – I would worry about going down and talking to current players, but I was, there was that, you know, that, that feeling of, I don't want to be annoying or I don't want to get in these guys way. Cause I remember when I was a player and even though I was great with, I loved the, the guys from the media. I mean, I had it good in Seattle. You know, if you play on the East coast it might be a little bit different, but I went down and, and the one thing he pushed me into doing, and he told me this over and over was get down the clubhouse, get to know these players, hear it from them. So when you're on air, you can say, well, you know, Marco Gonzalez mentioned before the game that blah, 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 blah. And it just gives you that credibility because it's coming from the source. And that's, that's really what you need to do. But more so, whether you walk away from, when, when you step away from broadcasting, I've taken that into everything I do. So if I'm meeting new people, I'm meeting them, I'm hearing their name, I'm trying to get to know their story and, and everything else. It just makes life a lot easier. 
um, whether it's in a corporate situation, a coaching situation with next gen baseball back in Australia, whatever it may be, just getting to know, getting on those comfortable terms with the person I'm hanging out with. Um, that's my advice. I guess if you're going into broadcasting, you just want to hang out. Um, anyway, but, uh, been a big week last week. Baseball started back. I don't know how we're feeling about the no fans. I'm slowly getting used to it. Um, but I've had a good couple of weeks. It's warming up here in Seattle. It's a really hot day today. It's about 90 degrees. Got a boxing session in, Emerald City Boxing. I uh, appreciate all the, uh, the comments on the email from straight through my uh, website, www.thetopstep.com. People have written to me. Um, ask me about the boxing. No, I'm not training for a fight. Absolutely not. I would get my ass kicked if I stepped in the ring. I'll tell you that right now. I have got no business boxing for real amateur, whatever. No chance. Um, number one. Number two, I just love boxing, man. It's the best workout. It just, it's just such a good stress relief, reliever and everything else. I get up in the morning and uh, what I'm going to set up to at Emerald City, if Russ and Chloe are cool with this, I want to set up you know, group where, where I set up, we, I can, you know, take reservations, get a group of whatever once this COVID thing chills out. And we can, we can do a workout together for free. Come in, try it out, try boxing out. If you've never done it or you have done it, come. These guys are awesome. I'm having so much fun. I can't get enough of it. Um, okay, a couple more little plugs. Uh, make sure you go to www.thetopstep.com. Send me, some, send me a message. Send me some feedback. Um, if you're listening to this on Apple or Google play, leave me a review, man. It helps leave a review to this podcast. I'm trying to get this thing going. Got some amazing guests. I'm trying to inspire, tell these inspiring stories. Dave is another one of these. Um, and, uh, yeah, go on YouTube. I'm going to put all these up on YouTube. I've been lazy the last couple of weeks. I will get them up. Okay. Enough of me. Let's get to the man, Dave Sims. Let's hear his story and, uh, let's go Mariners. I'm back covering the Mariners. I'm so stoked. All right, guys. Enjoy this episode as Dave Sims joins me on the top step. We'll see ya. No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. First appearance of the big leagues. Face <laughs> all of Famer. <laughs> Especially if he strikes them out. Here comes the one-two pitch to Junior now. The breaking ball. He struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life. <laughs> as he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. And the inning is over. Watch, 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 You'll never say that I'm not killing them. All right, Dave, welcome to the podcast, mate. It's, it's, I've, I've wanted to get you on here for a while, but I'm glad I did today because you're approaching about the week mark i've been dying to ask does, has this felt normal yet doing play-by-play remotely with no fans is it feeling normal at all uh, well it's normal looking at the monitors but then i look at you know i'm used to looking at the monitors and looking yeah. out at the field and i'm looking for relievers coming in from the pen i'm looking for you know just looking to see who's interacting with who yeah, that's totally different. So the focus is, is, is on the monitors, and we have a great setup. I mean, it looks like Star Trek. I've got, <laughs> I've got, a, uh, I've got a monitor down to the truck where they can put the promos and reads right. on. And then I've got the, uh, the, the big monitor with, like, the nine cam so you can see. Yeah. Well, I, I can see everything that's coming out of the ballpark. Then I've got the uh, on-air. Then I've got the studio and I've got the monitor for Mike and I, so we can see each other and interact. Okay. Plus, I got, I got my laptop. So I've got a lot of things in front of me, man. It looks like a big control panel. When they were going through the options, what were some of the options? I mean, they would have said, hey, we're going to try this or try that, right? Or was it just straight, this is how we're doing it? Well, what I heard coming out of the box, there was, they said there was no way we're going to travel announcers and whatnot. So, um, you know, the home games are, are not a problem because yeah. we can do them right out of the booth. Or, you know, we could have done them out of the studio. I think uh, the Yes Network was doing some stuff out of their studio up in right. uh, Greenwich, Connecticut. And now I think they're, you know, strictly in the stadium. At least I, that was the last I heard. But, yeah, I knew we weren't going on the road. So that, that, that eased it a little bit for me. I mean, I yeah. felt for the players, but I, I knew I said, hey, at least I'm not going to be putting that. I'm in enough – we're in enough jeopardy at home, right. you know, without yeah. having to go on planes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the um... – and going back, I mean, because you were basically, you're in New York, right? In New York City, you're right in the epicenter when all this was really getting getting heavy. And really, no one really knew what was, what the future held for anything. 
as far as how long this is going to, did you, I mean, go back to April. Were you thinking there is no way they're going to play this baseball season? Yeah, I didn't think so. I mean, we got back March 13th and we got out of Arizona and like the, I got that. So that was a Friday night and I, I stayed in all doors that sun, that Saturday. And then I said, Oh heck, just let me go for a walk. So I went for a walk Sunday, Tuesday and Wednesday. Then I stayed 44 days uh, consecutively in the, in the, in the house. Uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't think we we're going to, it was going to be able to get done. I really didn't. There's just yeah. too many variables, but you know, we're making a go of it. And, I, and I'm happy to be a part of it. To be honest. Yeah. yeah I'm, I need to address what happened today. The Marlins came out. I think it was, what was it? 13 players and yeah, staff members. Significant number of players and coaches. Yeah. G- game is canceled. Is there any thought in the back of your mind thinking about, you know, when Manfred basically has the power to say, all right, you know, we're done. This is crazy. Is there any – because I woke up to it, I was like, oh, here we go. This yeah, is I just... think, yeah, I hear you. I don't think he's going to shut it down. I mean, it's yeah. going to have to get really bad. I mean, that's why we have all the extra guys, you know, on the roster available. And I think it's just going to be, you know, next man, next man up. Right. And uh, because, as you know, as a baseball player, it's so different from basketball. I mean, basketball, you got a shot. If you shut it down for a week, then you yeah. can come back. I mean, the jump shot's not going to be that messed up. But pitchers, you guys would catch yeah. all kinds of abuse if you're, if you're right. shut down for a week. So I think it's just going to be, hey, man, that's why we have expanded rosters and we're going to take it as far as they can. Yeah. Do you think this is the best way to do it, the way they're doing it? I mean, you mentioned the NBA and they're, they're doing this thing. Obviously, it's not that simple to just go, oh, we've got this facility and just have roll out you know, every game in the bubble like they've got in the NBA. Do you feel like this is the best way they could have handled this with MLB? Well, yeah. I mean, I think if there was a bubble situation, you know, I saw a friend of mine on social media said, listen, the New York area has knocked the curve down to almost totally flat. So wow. you've got Yankee Stadium, City Field. You've got ballparks in Brooklyn, uh, Staten Island, uh, in uh, North Central Jersey. Uh, you've got them up in Southern Connecticut, and in uh, and one in the county it was at uh, Rockland County. So you could you could have had a bubble there. Uh, right. I, that was the first I had seen that. I, a friend of mine sent that last night, but. You know, they're making the best of it that yeah. they possibly can. Yeah, it was uh, – I mean, just, you know, being an ex-player and just watching, you know, just witnessing with the union and, and with the, the owners about going back and forth. You're sitting there going, guys, just work together somehow. Get this going. <laughs> <laughs> because that was anyway, the- I'll be honest with you, 60 games, I was like, are they – is this a serious thing? Like, are we really yeah. playing 60 games? And I've, got, yeah, I've gotten used to it. And, yeah, but, I thought it was going to be 80. I, I, yeah. You know, 80 to to 100 and it just seemed like it was, it was unfathomable to me given the labor history in baseball and recent too yeah that they could foul this up and it got to the point where if you didn't have despair you hadn't been awfully close to it because you know we have a deal then we don't have a deal and that's 60 yeah. games you know take it or leave it you know what i preferred 80 games heck yeah but this is better than nothing oh yeah for sure did and if you had to compare this to 94 you know, obviously covering sport, being around, was that, and if you go back to, obviously now you look back, oh yeah, well, there was a strike because they couldn't, you know, you kind of just think of it as something that seems semi-normal. But when you yeah. go back, when you were in it, you must've been thinking to yourself, are they seriously doing this right now? Uh, 94, I did, um, I did a Braves at Mets game at Shea Stadium on ESPN. It was a B-net network, the network, uh, game so it was going in let's say it was blacked out in new york and atlanta so it's going out to the rest of the you know, parts of the country and it was with jim cott and it was a great experience working with kitty he was a tremendous guy i'm sure you've met him along the yeah. way and then you know we wrap up the game and boys that's it we're going on strike tomorrow i was like what yeah it was my second year with espn i was rolling i was you know oh, like be there forever you know doing baseball and everything and that happened and that that really you know i've sort of flushed that memory now for the most part but i do remember being really angry and just and disappointed forgot about it so so you felt like your career like well what do i do now not what do i do now obviously you're going to be in broadcasting but so you're in a situation where you felt like all right i'm with espn i'm finally making headway i'm with the (laughs) biggest network and then out of your control Man, there yep. must have been some resentment there for sure. Yeah, it, it definitely sucked. I mean, I did 90 – my first year doing baseball at ESPN was 93. I started with them in 91 doing college hoops. Yeah. 93 was great. Did a game a week with, uh, with uh, Larry Sorensen. Uh, I did – and I think 94 did some one or two with Mike Lansing. In fact, the game here in Seattle. 
Uh, I worked with Freddie Lynn. I mean, I had a great time. It, it yeah. was just tremendous. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm on my way. And then the strike happens. I'm like, <laughs> dude, talk about bad timing. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Big time. But, I mean, know, I, I had other things going on, thank goodness. I mean, I was I just finished the run at WFAN doing sports talk. Right. And I was doing uh, – was that the year? Yeah, I did uh, – I started doing Westwood One NFL games right. part-time. And I also was doing Big East football. So I, I was lucky in that regard, I'll tell you. Because, you know, and, and looking back, I was doing my homework the last couple of days because I, I knew we were going to sit and chat today. But you've done a lot, man. And you've done it in a big market. Obviously, in New York. You know, you grew up in Philly. Was baseball, and you mentioned 94, was baseball what you set out? Play-by-play play, baseball, is that, was that the goal for you? Was that like the end game saying, I want to be doing this, this is my thing, as opposed to hosting on radio and doing all, everything else you did? Yeah, hosting on radio was great. I enjoyed it. But, you know, I knew – I'll tell you what, let's see. I was at FAM from 89 to 93. So February 91, I do – I start doing college basketball. And I remember doing a game, a Rhode Island against Providence game and up, right up by 95 from New York. And I came – I did the game. The excitement was off the chart. Yeah. And I come back, and now I sit in the studio. And Ed Coleman was a great partner. And I said, wait a minute, this isn't the same juice. I got to do games. I, I got to do play by play. <laughs> right. And I mean, the juice in the building was just off the chart. I mean, local yeah. rivalry and everything. Yeah. And, you know, real stuff happening in, in, in real time in front of you, not reacting to stuff. Yeah. I said, I got I to gotta do full-time play by play. And which I had sort of set my mind on, or mind to, uh, back in high school. And baseball was, you know, baseball and or the NFL. And I wound up doing both. So even back in high school, you're like, all right. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, you, in, had, high school, in high school, you'd love it. In my yearbook, they had, uh, you know, destination, you know, you know, hockey announcer, because I was a big hockey fan back yeah. in the day. Gene Hart, the voice of the Flyers, was one of my heroes. I loved listening to him doing games. So that was, uh, that was some of the – I knew back in high school, yeah. Really? So, okay, so that's when you kind of got that bug where – and I always – people always ask me, you know, how do you get into baseball? Obviously, coming from Australia – but there had to be someone you noticed or a couple people you noticed, like, ah, I want to be like them. Basically. Yeah. You know what happened? I was a pretty good baseball player in high school. I played four-year letter in high school, captain, two-time MVP. And I said, you know, I went to a couple of tryouts when I was in high school. And, but somebody said, hey, listen, there ain't no guarantee. You're good. But you ain't that good. And, uh, you know, if this doesn't happen, you, you can still be in sports. You know, you yeah. could be in sports media. You could be a sports writer. You could be a broadcaster. So I had that in my in my mind, and then it just brought that up, you know, right. to the top tier. Yeah. I said, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, that's what I'm going to go for. And I had, you know, growing up in Philly is a great sports town. I got to live in New York all these years. Yeah. And I was influenced by just a, a whole bunch of guys yeah. from distance. And I got to meet a lot of these guys along yeah. the way, and they've been very helpful uh, over the years. How do you feel like – and? You know, going back to the early days, because I, I was at the winter meetings in December and you've got, you know, the main lobby where everyone go, sort of goes and, you know, everyone's trying to act super cool or act like they're someone or whatever. You know, then you go down the street and you've got like, there's like a um, convention center with like, you know, just different ob job opportunities and stuff like that. I was heading out and then just beyond that was the, um, the minor league hotel. And I was going to go down and meet up with, um, you know, some like rap Soto and some of these vendors and stuff like that. Yeah. But on the way I was like, Oh, I'll sneak in here. I had credentials to go into this like job fair basically. Right. And I walk in and, and a couple of kids who they want to be, they want to be broadcasters. They came up and he said, Oh, we're from the Northwest. We know who you are. You know, can we talk yeah. to you? And it's crazy because I'm sitting there and it kind of dawned on me how tough it is because there was a hundred people and a lot of them are there because they want to be broadcasters. And now you've got this saturation of what we're doing right now, a podcast and, and everyone think everyone yep. thinks they they've, they've got it down to a T and we li also live in this generation. You combine that with everyone wants everything next week. So, <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's, it's crazy, but I walked out of that building and I was just like, man, I'm, I'm lucky that I got to play. So I, I got a chance, you know, because I got to play to get into broadcasting. But from your point of view, what do you think, going back, and if you can go back to those early days, what separated you from the pack to get the doing some of the stuff you've done in your career, which is pretty remarkable in a massive, huge sports market on the East Coast, yeah. and now being the play-by-play -play guy with the man? What separated you? Well, I think, uh, I think I have unbridled enthusiasm, which I think right. you may have picked up uh, <laughs> when I do broadcast. Yeah. And I think that was one thing. In my experience... You know, starting out as a newspaper guy, which, which was a tremendous foundation in terms of storytelling, 
Gotcha. In terms of interviewing skills and 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 working under pressure. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of stuff in college, a uh, little small school, Bethany College in West Virginia. And I did radio there, and I did public address announcing. And and I think I just think, and 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 to be honest with you. Diversity has not been a big thing in, in this country in, in terms of sports media. Yeah. It's, it's not great now, but it's a heck of a lot better than it was when I broke in. Yeah. And let's face it, I was at the right place at the right time with some newspapers and said, hey, man, we got to get, get some black kids in here. Right. And I was there. I was there at the Philadelphia Inquirer. I got an internship. They asked me back the second year. I got to the New York Daily News when I was 22 years old. They threw me in the deep end and I swam out. Yeah. And then when the cable TV explosion happened in 80, 81, 82, uh, Satellite News Channel w- w- was there, and I had an agent. We put together a tape, and they liked it. And I saw it, and that got me going. I didn't have to beat the bushes going down the, you know, the podunk yeah. towns and whatnot in the Midwest and <laughs> the South or anything like yeah. that. And and I think the fact that you know, big city experience, you know, I thrived in it. I did well in the biggest market. You know, the number what the Philly at the time was number four market, and you know, New York's number one. Yeah, and and I. It worked. I mean, I did talk radio. I had my talk show, at WNBC, for like three and a half years, fifty thousand watts, clear channel, forty right. states at night. You know, FAN. Yeah. And you know, sports talk is a good met, uh, uh, methodology in terms of again taking advantage of storytelling, mm-hmm. interviewing skills, and showing your personality. And then you know, I I think all along in the back of my mind, I'd always do games in my head and practice right. and everything. And I got a shot and I made the most of it. Did you ever feel like one thing I run into is a situation where you have to sort of act like a pro. So like, you know, sound like everyone else. And it's the worst thing I could do really. Cause I mean, if I played 20 years in the big leagues, well, you know, it, it's, it, and you've said this to me a bunch and there's two things you've, you've said to me, you said, first of all, be yourself. Right. And, and be, have that energy. Cause I love having, you know, that energy. And sometimes you yeah. have okay, Sound like a pro. Don't get too too you know crazy with it. Another thing you said to me as well. I think this goes back to you know storytelling and also networking. Get down in the clubhouse. That's the the one thing I, I've stuck in my head. You like get down in the clubhouse and ask from the players. That's that's made a massive difference because it just gives you that credibility when you, it's coming yeah, from them. Absolutely. And that, you know, I knew that as a newspaper guy. I learned that as an intern. Hmm. And I'll never forget years ago. I think when Bill Parcells was with. Um, forget who he was with, but he had this great line because he was battling with his GM. He says, you know, they ought to let you shop for the groceries. And for me, I put it in, in terms of what I do, shopping for the groceries is going down to the clubhouse, right. going to the batting cage, and you come up with information. You, yeah. you walk smack dab into it, like half of it. You know, you yeah. pick up stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you put it in, you, you weave it into your broadcast, whether it be on radio or TV. So, and that's my approach, and, and I have to reach out to Bill and tell him that I use that line all the time. You got, you know, you got to shop for the groceries. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good one. You do you feel like players are more accessible now than back then? Because I felt like back in, especially the '90s, and I had coaches who played in the '90s. They're like, the media is the enemy. Don't talk to them. But do you feel like is it, is it easier now just getting to know these these guys? Or, or yeah, it, it took a while years ago to build up trust, and you had to be around every day. Yeah. And, and and I know from daily news my my uh, newspaper days if you're gonna rip somebody be there the next day bam face right. to face right that's key and the same goes in broadcasting yeah you know now i'm the home team announcer i'm not gonna rip anybody <laughs> you, know, like, you know it's like you had a bad game what do you want me to do i mean they had a bad game you gave up six runs give up nine hits the area's 15 i'm not lying i mean so you, you can't beef at me at that yeah you know i didn't say you know he sucked he's a bad guy or anything yeah i don't go there but uh i think this generation has been raised so much on you know, instantaneous media, they like it, social media, they want right. to be on it. And I think they're just more savvy in, in that it, it's a, it's a necessity. It's a part of the game. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, man. When I, in, in, cause you started, my career started the same year you started with the Mariners, 2007. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then 2009, I remember, um, I got on Twitter. I was like one of the first, there's like three baseball players to be on Twitter. My teammates, and you remember some of these guys, Eric Bedard, Jared Washburn, you know, who are, they ripped me for yeah. I was on Twitter, like get that thing off that. And then literally turn around 12 months later, every, not every player, but guys, it's just normal all of a sudden. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Hey, you're not hip and you're not with it. If you, if you're not on Twitter in some, yeah. some way, shape or form, 
Now you don't have to be out, you know, just hammering people. But I mean, just for I know, just when, when my wife told me, says you should get on. You know, branding's been a big word in the last yeah. what ten years, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we're our own brand. So you right. got you know, you promote the Mariners. Hey, you're, I'm gonna be here. We got this game. Hey, that was a great game last night. Great job by Felix. Yep, yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff. And that's yeah. you know, that's what I try to do. So some of these guys have got branding coaches now, or or, or the Mariners. The Mariners are helping them with their Instagram. It's it's amazing. It's so different to even you go back ten years. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. You and know? and uh, who was it? Masevich and Evan White. You know, making their big league debuts. And our Mariner social uh, media folks did a call with their families and uh, you know, a wish them well. You know, right. a, a vlog, if you will. And and then they and they showed the the guys watching it, and then they posted it. And actually, it was really good. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a different time. Hey, and going back and, and you mentioned, you know, with, um, you know, when you started off having, being African-American, obviously having some diversity kind of gave you a foot in the door. There had to be some roadblocks along the way, right? Yeah. You in, get that, a bunch of, there's some people you run across are real a-holes and everything, and, but you just deal with it, fight through it. And then I had one time a guy said something smart to me, uh, checking in, uh, the media gate uh, and a Phillies game at the vet. And, and it was the night, night before I was going to write my first game story covering a Phillies game. It's going to be the lead story in the sports section. The next day I'm 22. What am I? 74. So I was 20, 22 years, 21 years old. Yeah, I was 21 years old. And um, I was with the, the late Bruce Kyden. who was a really good baseball writer in Philly. This guy said something smart to me. Some old timer. I, I let it go. Bruce was incensed. He crushed the guy. He crushed him in a letter to the Phillies management. And I got a huge attaboy from Bruce to my sports editor, to my advisor, my, my advisor back in college. Right. Dave handled himself like a professional, didn't react. So I'll never forget that. So, and then the other one, I always remember, I think it was another time I was down there. It might have been that same night because Bruce, once we got through the gate, Bruce said, hey, do this, you do this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I go into the clubhouse and I see Steve Carlton. And I mean, it's Steve freaking Carlton. Come yeah. on, man. Yeah. And I go up and say, Steve, Dave Simpson, the inquirer. He turns around and gives me a look that looked that would have killed two battalions. Really? And, but, and he says, yeah, what do you want? I said, I just wanted to say hello. I just want to ask you a couple things. And somebody said, dude, he's pitching tonight. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't know. Nobody yeah. ever told me about that's the that. rule. But yeah, man, I, I never, I never made that mistake again. I'll tell you that. 1974, boy, I, I got a. Oh, you know what's funny about that though? The day I'm pitching, I like, I was way more at ease, and because I get so no, I couldn't eat the day I was pitching. I would walk in the clubs. Hey guys, how you doing? Like this, just because I just, I need to talk to people. I need to be around people. That yeah. just made me. And everyone just sort of put their head down because they didn't want to get you know, in trouble. They're like, oh, I'm not supposed to talk to you, this and that. I got to a point when I was doing well, 2009, I said to uh, Rick, uh, Rick Griffin, he was in the clubhouse, and he, he said, hey, man, look, like, you know, you've got to start focusing. And you know, I said, mate, I said, I do better when I'm talking to people. So it got to a point where Rick's like, yes, okay, who, who do you want me to bring out in the dugout just to chat to you? I was like, oh, this is great. So just be some random person just chatting. But that was the, that was the golden rule, man. You do not talk to starting pitchers, especially, especially Steve Carlton. Oh, man, I tell you what, he turned around, man. I'm, woo. So, you know, it's funny. Later on in like, so that was 1974. So 2000, 2000. You know, he's retired. He's in the Hall of Fame. I'm now hosting the Philly Sunday pregame show, and I'm doing an in-game interview. And uh, and Harry, the great Harry Callis said, let's throw it down to Dave Sims with a special <laughs> guest. And Harry, thank you. I'm with lefty Steve Carlton. He's a guy that, boy, he put the hammer on me when I was an intern back in the day. Steve, good to see you again. How are you? <laughs> he looked at me like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> did, so did you try and explain what you were talking about? Why you would, or you just afterwards, you just say, Hey, listen, I was referring to this story, yeah, 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 that's yeah, after. But he looked at me like, Really, yeah. I probably should have been fair, told him I'll bust your balls right out of the game, but I didn't. But that's funny, I felt good doing it. I ain't gonna lie to you. <laughs> so, okay, so when, when you were young, going back to that, that time with Steve Colton, were there times where you felt you were worried about saying something or doing something that is going to piss your boss off? And you're going to lose your job, so you had to simmer down. Or, well, I, I was just flat out scared to death. I mean, you know, it's like be careful what you wish for. And I actually yeah. got, 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> my advisor said, well, you know, we had this one kid got an internship in the Philadelphia Inquirer. I said, I'm from Philly. How about it? So I went and got the interview, made it, blah, blah, blah. Right. Now it's June 4th, 1973. And, and I'm in there and I was like, and I the good part was that was in my hometown. I at least knew where everything was. I was living with my parents. So that, yeah. But boy, I tell you what, I look back on it. Some, I mean, it was just a, it's a whole new world, man. It really was. And I, I, there was no room to be cocky or anything. That's yeah. Well, that, that's, that's one thing. It's kind of that, that healthy balance. For me, it's like, okay, you have to act like one of the guys, right? You have to act like a professional because you don't want to step on toes or you don't want to right. you know, piss your boss off. You know? But then you, then you sort of look out and you see guys who are just killing it. And they're, they're, just, they're acting like insane. Like Eric Burns, perfect example. He's a nutcase. <laughs> And it's like, if I ever, not that I'm his same personality, but if I ever acted like, you know, getting a piece of cardboard flying down a hill, people are like, dude, we're never going to have you on again if you do that. But no, he's him, like, he's it, he is, <laughs> but it works. It's like, he's got that basically just doesn't care what anyone thinks. Right. Like, trait that is so hard to have. Yeah. He, he showed, he has a love for life and, and I, I applaud him for it. I mean, I haven't, I don't know if he's, I know for over the last few years watching him on MLB Network, his, and I've done some, I've been on with him on MLB Now and MLB Network and a couple of shows. His enthusiasm, his energy, oh, and he, you know, he studies now. I tell you what, he knows what he's talking about. Right. He does his homework. He comes in, you know, having played too. He had a couple, he had what, three or four really good years. You know, there's some credibility there. And yeah. I, I like Bernsey. I know a lot of people, they, you know, he rubs people the wrong way. But I, I think like he's him. great. Yeah. And, I, and, and like, same with Bill Walton. I mean, I love his zest for life, man. The fact right. that he's just enthusiastic, he's excited about being where he is and talking about the subject matter. I think that I think that's gold. I really do. Yeah, I had Eric Burns on this podcast, and I, I had to have a, like we were on for an hour. I had to have a nap afterwards. I was so I was there again. He's the whole thing too. It's so funny. I'm used to you know we're sitting down like this talking. Well, of course he's there's no seat there. He's like, and he kept walking away, moving away from his microphone too. Like, I so bet, now, yeah. He's got these he makes coffee stuff. nervous. Oh, exactly. And, and, and mind you, he had a huge venti, you know, coffee in his hand the whole time. Like, dude, you do not need that. Put that thing down. But he's, he's jumping around. He's doing like, and I'm like, man, he's about to start doing backflips. It was nuts. It was a blast. Yeah. But that's just him. But it's, yeah. it's, it's one it of looks- these, these the, the, the skill of just not, caring what people think i think is a big thing to get over well i tell you what if you're going to be in this business you have to uh, be ready to take the slings and arrows and the good times and the bad times and then right. you got to be able just like a ball player you got to bounce back you're not going to be perfect all the time i mean there's sometimes i've smacked myself in the face you know, i'm like what the how did it why did i say it why did i say it like that think before you speak enunciate you know you know your vocabulary is good right. use it what are you doing yeah i mean i just a lot of times i'm up there like oh my god come on there's other times, man, you're feeling good and you're just rolling and right. it's just things are flowing and you're throwing references out and, you know, you're throwing, you know, comparisons out and they all hit and then you go home and then you hear from some of your boys and like, dude, you were on fire last night, man. I love it. It was good stuff, yeah. man. Good. Right. You know, it's, and, and being a, I tell you what, for me, I didn't, you know, didn't play at the highest level like you, but being a jock all my life and playing, yeah. you know, playing high school football, baseball, basketball, playing Legion, uh, baseball playing playing college football college baseball i think from i think that is a really good edge for me yeah because i can empathize and i understand again not on your level but i understand i know the success and the failure that you guys go through in baseball i've been there i've done that and i can relate so i'm not i'm not like some of these guys that do talk radio and they're just shock jocks and kill jockeys and they just want to crush yeah that's never been my deal have you ever said anything, you know, on air, whether it's obviously you've been covering the Mariners now for what, what's it been? 13 years, 14 years, 14, 14 years. years. Yeah. Um, sorry, my, my math, I should know that because I, mean, <laughs> either, buddy. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> but has there any been, ever been a time, obviously, cause you, you basically work, you're working for the team. You, you basically, oh, yeah. you support, <laughs> has there ever been a time where you've said something and a player's approached you or a team has approached you and said, Hey, that was just what you said was not right. And, and it was extremely hostile. The uh, only, honest to God, and it's, this is difficult to believe it, and it's a great question. And when I think back, it's like it's hard to believe it's only one time. Remember the big Canadian kid we had, matter of fact, yeah, because you were here, Chris something. He threw hard. He Reitzma. was a Chris, uh, Chris Reitzma. Reitzma. Loved yep. Reitzma. I loved watching him pitch when he was healthy. Yeah. Big, strong right hander. 
So one time, and, and then remember, he came down, he came down with his shoulder, right? Yeah. Shoulder and elbow. So one time, I, I guess this has got to be 07, because Richie Sexton was there. And he had a bad game. And, I mean, he just got lit up. Yeah. And I threw it to break, and I turned the mic or turned to the stage by Robbie. I said, damn, that really sucks. What the hell's wrong with him? Well, it turned out, Richie was in the clubhouse. Oh, man. And, and they were getting a raw feed. And the guy in the truck hadn't taken the audio down, so we yeah. heard it. So, like, the next day, I'm in the clubhouse. We just go, hey, Big Sims, got to watch what you say about the fellas, man. That was this, the this, only time. This is, this is Richie. Yeah, Richie said that. Richie yeah. never said anything to me. But right. Richie heard it. Richie was, hey, Big Sims, you better watch what you say, man. I was like, right. hey. I, I, I don't remember what my response was. I might have told Ricky to, you know, yeah. that, you know, that, you know, later for you. But I don't, you know. I uh, I show up every day. You know, you see me in the clubhouse yeah. every day. If anybody's got a beef, bring it. Right, right. And you have to be that way, right? Because if you go, yeah. you know, if you basically say something, then you go high. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. And Richie Sexton, the guy was on his team back then. I mean, he was out. He was out for blood. He he was not doing well. The media was the enemy. He was one of those veteran yeah. guys who was like, oh, don't, you know, stop talking to the media. This and that. He'd go high. I mean, he'd go shower and put his clothes in the bathroom to avoid reporters after a game. So any any instance, you may have said, oh man, Chris Reitz. You could have said the smallest thing, and he was he was on it like you know, yeah, right away. So yeah, I mean, I didn't cuss him or anything. I just said something. About, you know, he really. You know, I might have said he sucked today, or boy, he didn't have it, or something like right. that. And he heard it. But that's the only. That's not you know, not wood. That's the only since I've been here. That's the only yeah. time that's happened. Yeah. Do you feel like? Is it a rush for you? Like, do you still have that when it's like, you, you mentioned before a couple of minutes ago, you mentioned where you're just rolling and you're just killing it. Then you, you, know, you get that feedback from your friends or your family. It, does it still feel like that rush? I feel like for me, look, I played major league baseball and there's a, a, a little bit of a different kind of yeah, rush and, and that feeling of, man, I just nailed that. I get that too. I, I'm not going to lie, man. I mean, especially my, my first time doing pre and post, I was floating in the car driving. Like, I was on for five minutes you know what I mean, for free. Like I was just doing like a free game that probably, who knows who's watching. I don't know. But I felt like, man, do you still feel that? Like, Oh you know, yeah, absolutely. I right. know like tonight we're on at what? 410. Yeah. So the Latin, like in my head, I've already like started my lineups and all that. Right. And I got to do a couple things beforehand, like about an hour before the game, I get that, you know, that little rumble in the stomach, a little bit of excitement, a little nervous energy. I've done thousands of games, football, baseball, basketball. Yeah. And when I, and then like, when we sit down, I can feel the surge coming. I don't have to like inject anything. I feel yeah. it. And it just starts to build. And, you know, you want to, you want to come on the air and you want to be friendly. You want to be welcoming. You want to be authoritative. Uh, and and they're like, hi everybody, welcome to Mariners Baseball. You yeah. want to be, and I feel that. When, and when I don't, I can't remember the last time I didn't feel that little thing in my stomach, where you know a little bit nervous, you know, a touch of apprehension mixed in with like, hey man, where else would I rather be? Right. You know. Gotcha. And if you get that every day, and it's one of the reasons why I've been able to last this long. I think somebody, somebody wrote me the other day, or I did a show with somebody and said, you know, how do you maintain your enthusiasm? I said, it's, I think it's. I was born with it. I was taught it. And I enjoy it. And it's real. Do you, even with 162 games, I mean, in the Can middle they, of August. You know how many guys would give a body part to do what I do? Well, that, that's, that's motivation what, in itself. <laughs> that's where I'm heading because last year I got a chance to do a game with you and I, I was so excited. And I get the, 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 you know, the, the, the off chance to get in there and do one through nine. And I love it, man. I mean, it's, I, I leave afterwards. I'm like, man, that was just such a rush. It's you know, yeah. what, I, what I want to do. But I walked out of the job too. Right. I'll, yeah, no, it was a blast. It, it, it was a lot of fun. It's always a pleasure working with you. But I'm driving to the, the stadium. Okay, I want to have this energy. I'm all excited. I'm thinking to myself, okay, Dave's been doing this for 120 games already. Okay, just simmer down when they get in there, act like a pro. But you walked in and, and straight away you were like, you know, and you, know, you were buzzing. And I feel like uh, I'm thinking back. It's like every time you walk in, you still have that same energy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When I walk in, like I walk in today, and uh, Robbie, you know, our stage manager, and Earl's the, the, the sound guy, hey, boys, what's up? How we doing? You know, come in, you know, come in, clap and dance like a third base coach. You know, it's like, right. you, know, you know, you always have coaches who are, who are chat guys, who are, you know, energy guys. Going, come on, boy. Come on, Ryan. Hey, you got him, kid. Come on, yeah. up. Hey. You know, that kind of thing. I used to catch. I used to talk it up all the time. 
I mean, and my old man was like that. Uh, he was he was an absolute pisser and a, just a you know badass. Where you know, child of the Depression, World War II veteran, right. you know, badass, but a good guy and a yeah, tough yeah. guy. I mean, that's what I learned from man. Yeah. Hey, uh, also too, and we're in a you know crazy time right now with you know everything that happened with with George Floyd and all of a sudden just outrage across the country. Right. There, right. Has there been? especially being, you know, being obviously in your position where you do have a voice, right? You can speak yeah. up. Has there ever been a time in your career where it's matched this or been? No way. Really? No, not, um, no I mean, I'm sitting here, you know, answering questions or, or talking about, you know, uh, you know, judicial reform, police reform, uh, you know, various, various and sundry kinds of racism. And how we got to, you know, get the country, you know, yeah. on, on the right track. You know, country, it's a great country. It's not perfect. The reason we scream is because we love it so much. We want it to be better. And we right. know it can be better. And as I always say, you know, black folks have been talking about this kind of treatment. I don't know, since 1619 after the right. first slave ships were brought here, right. you know. Yeah. And it took somebody to stand there and videotape eight minutes and 46 seconds. Yeah. Of a, of a man being killed to get the whole world, pretty much the whole world fired up. I mean, down in Portland, they're demonstrating every night, they're doing stuff here yeah. in Seattle. Uh, I mean, it's just implicit racism, racism explicit racism. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people got to go to school. And, and, and <laughs> I agree with somebody I heard say, if you don't have a black friend, go get one and right, talk right. to them. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and ask some questions. And so you get an idea you know, with empathy, the guy in the White House has like no empathy, but right. I, that doesn't preclude anybody else from, you know, enhancing their own or, or finding their yeah. own strength of it. Do you feel like, you know, players now and, and I mean, players again, and you know, is it because they, they feel more comfortable because, okay, let, let's talk about the Mariners, for example, the Mariners have been extremely supportive and I had yeah. Braden Bishop on here a couple of weeks ago and I'm looking on Twitter and these guys are just flat out, just speaking up. There had to be times, though, and you must have covered this, but you go back to the, you know, even the 90s or early 2000s, players like, I feel this way, but I can't speak up because right. my job's in jeopardy, right. right? Well, that's what, when we had the roundtable, that's what Dee Gordon and those guys said, and they said, that right. changes now, as you've seen on social media. I, you know, back in the day when I was a kid, there was, one, there was a great picture. Uh, when Muhammad Ali was refusing to go in the Army, mm -hmm. uh, military service, and they had all these elite black athletes and politicians. You had Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell. You had Bobby Mitchell. You had Carl Stokes, who was the mayor of Cleveland. It's an iconic picture. I want to say 67. And, and then you had Tommy Smith and John Carlos in the 68 Olympics in Me was Mexico City, I think it was. Um, those were iconic moments in terms of, uh, of fighting racial strife in, as it regards to athletes. You know, athletes. But you know, now has probably been, certainly in my lifetime, the greatest forum and the greatest opportunity for guys to speak out, and they're doing it. The NBA, the NFL, and, and, and the other thing, too, that gladdens my heart, you mentioned it. The Mariners, we got 10 white guys, 10 African-Americans yeah. on, our, on our ball club, which is the, by far the most of anybody right. um, in Major League Baseball. And last year, there was only 68 African-Americans. You know, right. what, how many players do we have? We got about a little over a thousand players counting everybody under the DL and everything. Well, it makes I mean, it extraordinary. It makes up seven, basically only seven percent of the league, right? right. Why right. is that? Like, in, in your opinion, covering sports and you played sport, you're an athlete. What, why do you think baseball is just not popular in, in well, your opinion? I, I always say that I'm part of the last generation of Black Americans who really give a damn about baseball. Because yeah. when I grew up in the '50s and '60s, that was the sport. I mean, when it was close, and it was yeah. every ball, every playground. In, uh, in Philly, where I grew up, and, and, and most major cities, guys were playing baseball or softball or something yeah. like that. And the high school teams had a lot of, you know, historically black schools had, had, had uh, black guys playing baseball. But it's the ultimate father-son hand-me-down sport. Mm -hmm. And given, you know, the, I mean, the sociological uh, exercise, I mean, I, I'm not one, but I do know that, you know, you know, black men heading households, the numbers are down significantly from a couple of generations right. ago. Uh, you know, Jackie Robinson and that, his generation created a lot of excitement in the 50s and 60s. You also had the Negro Leagues, then that faded out, and then those guys, most of those guys. Right. And their, you know, their legacy was there, and then kids, you know, guys came in. It's just that, yeah, you know, I, I don't think we, we don't market it enough. We don't. 
go against uh, basketball, football, or you know, the coolness yeah. factor of baseball, which, you know, you and I know. It, it, yeah. I mean, it's just such a great game. It teaches you so much. And, you know, you got to persevere. So I just think that's the biggest thing. You know, some of the issues involving it. But, I mean, we're getting killed by football and baseball, but I'm basketball. But, uh, you know, right now, hopefully we can have a good 60 games here, yeah. get through it. Playoffs will be exciting as heck. Maybe this will start a new trend. You know, it's funny, and, and uh, it, not that it runs parallel, but, you know, people always ask me why participation back in Australia for kids overall is down for baseball. Well, they're competing for, you know, against rugby and cricket. And the one thing, I, and I talked to Trent Olchin, who I work with, I'm like, we have, I want to go into schools and just bring up the cool factor for baseball as opposed to cricket is not cool. It's so boring. Like cricket, and you know, half my listeners are from Australia, right? So they're going to probably blast me for this. I don't care. But I want to go and say, all right, they're all these kids, they're good athletes who are playing cricket. I need yeah. to show them that there's that cool factor. Because, yeah, and, and this is another thing, and I'm, I nearly forgot to bring it up. I'm halfway through um, watching it again, The Last Dance, right? The, oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Right? So I, this is what's crazy. I grew up in Australia. I didn't play basketball, but I love basketball. I knew all the names. Because of you know Michael Jordan basically, and then Shaquille O'Neal sure. came in, and and these were got, these were icons, and I'm looking at them going, man, uh, yeah, and even the Gatorade commercial was was yeah. on in Australia. It was crazy, yeah. and I'm thinking I didn't even play basketball. I knew all these guys. Yeah, I'm watching them play the Knicks, and um, man is like, oh, who's that little guy who was always a pest? Oh, and it's Starks or Starks, right? Yeah. And I'm like, how, how do I remember that? That's crazy. Because it just transcended the game. And, and yeah. I got a question for you. A couple of things. One, there was a, there's an episode. And, and the first time I watched this, I watched this you know, about a month ago. I, said, I paused and I said, oh, I've got to ask Dave this. When Michael Jordan, and because you were around, when there was a, a politician in North Carolina. Um, oh, yeah. What, what was his name? I'm, I'm drawing a Jesse, blank. Jesse Helms. That's right. So there was a big thing how Michael Jordan didn't, you know, support him or anything like that. No, it was but, Harvey Gantt, who was a black guy. Who Harvey was Gantt. That's right. It's Jesse Holmes, who's a known segregation. That's right. Harvey Gantt. That's, yeah. that's it. Right. So, and obviously it's easy to, you know, in hindsight to look back at this and, you know, I don't, who, I don't know who's editing this, you know, this documentary or whatever, but going back and you were involved, you're obviously covering sport. Did you look at that and say, well, Michael Jordan should have stepped in and, and done something? Well, especially since the guy was an art segregationist and just, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know he, was, he was not good for the black community. And Michael's approach was, well, Republicans buy shoes, sneakers too. Right. I was like, swing and a miss, dude. Not even, come on, right. you're better than that. And I think if that circumstance existed now, uh, Completely different. nobody in their right yeah. mind would say that yeah. now. So, yeah. so even, even back then, so, and again, and again, that's, that's what I'm talking about. So right now we're watching this documentary in 2020. So you look back and it's a little bit more polarizing, but as from your position and your background, so you're looking at that at the time you were looking at that saying, all right, Michael, come on, man, step up and do something. Well, absolutely. I mean, he had yeah. the platform. He, you know, at that time he was, I think arguably, if not definitely the most popular athlete in the world, or certainly the top three, you know, if you can, yeah. well, same the country, same the country. And in the world, too. I mean, we talk about soccer players and all that kind of stuff. And, and opportunity, you know, as a front-facing, you, know, yeah. you know, black icon yeah. and a chance to fight against segregation, that should be a no-brainer. Yeah, right. And, that, that, and my wife is still, my wife is still hacked off in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because in the documentary, and this is my point, it's kind of like they, they showed it, covered it, and then moved on. Right, right, right. Well, you know, it was, you know, it was obviously that, that – the producer and the director, they did a marvelous job. Yeah. But obviously, they did. Yeah, they did. Really, I don't know, a little slanted, you know, all right. in Michael's favor. Yeah. I mean, they, did, <laughs> they probably could have had a lot of stuff in there, other things that were going on. But it, all in all, it was, I thought it was really well done. And around that time, and you were covering basketball and you were, you were a host covering the Knicks, right? Around yeah, roughly yeah, when the, the Knicks pre and post uh, on radio. Yeah. So how was it? I want to ask three guys. Now, first of all, Michael Jordan covering him. How was he with the media? Back then. Decent. You know, I didn't have to really deal with him that much. I, I used to have the best seat in the world. Uh, I said, this was back in the days when the media was at courtside at NBA yep. games. And I had the seat right next to the visiting team bench. Usually it'd be the trainer, then the head coach. So I got to hear and see everything. And right. it, was, it was amazing. And That's awesome. to watch the ferocity and the intensity of Michael Jordan and 
all the great players that came through the NBA during those years. I did that. I did that gig from like eighty six to ninety three, ninety four, something like that. Right. And it was impressive, man. And every night, I remember sitting next to a guy from Newstead, Curtis Bunn, and when Michael, we would always be fired up. So we're gonna see something good tonight, you know. And Mike, and sure enough, almost every time yeah. he'd come in there two, three times a year. It was it was a treat. It was a treat. But I mean, you know, that, we were seeing Kareem and Carl Malone, right. Barkley, and all these guys. I mean, and the NBA was, and the Knicks were good. Yeah, they yeah. were in 90, 90, well, it was a ninety four. Yeah, ninety four. They were in the championship uh, right. uh, that year. Yeah. Um, and then okay, so you look at him, and then Scotty Pippen. I'm still trying to get a gauge on what he was like personality wise it's tough to tell from this documentary and he always seemed like a quiet sort of like a sidekick to michael i mean was it was he... the best sidekick ever man. yeah <laughs> he was the unbelievable best. yeah the best um i didn't i i had one interaction with scotty one time i was uh, it might have been the next year and i was in philly i was at a hotel and i checked in and the Bulls were playing the Sixers, I guess, the next afternoon. So they were in the same hotel. And I see them a lot. Yo, man, how you doing? Hey, how are you? So then I get up to my room. As I'm walking to my room, I guess he had he, he'd gone up before me. And as I turn, I come down the hall. You know, as you make the turn, you go down the hallway. Of course, my, now my room's all the way down the other end. And, and then after, I, I pass his room. And then I hear these girls, like three girls got in. Somebody like, Scotty, Scotty, knocking on the door. I'd never seen that before. You know, you always hear about that. And he didn't answer the door. Somehow these three women, they must have been just, you know, groupies and they got in and it just tickled me so much. It's like, oh my God, this is, it must be like this every night. I mean, right. these guys are the Beatles and the Stones combined and, you know, Michael Jackson combined rolled into one of the Bulls of that era. That was amazing. And, but, but they lived in, and my next, my next person I wanted to ask you real quickly about Dennis Rodman. These guys played in, in a time where there weren't iPhone cameras up every two right. seconds. There wasn't Twitter, you know, boom, 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 <laughs> real time. Lucky for them, they weren't. Right. As there was, I mean, the stories that, yeah, the stories that that have been told over the years, passed down, you know, by word of mouth. A lot of that would have been documented one way or another, you know, either audio or visually with iPhones. And that's why, you know, if you're an athlete now, you you got to really pick your spots, man. You got to be careful. And that kid, who was it? The kid with uh, was it Lou Williams with the, the Clippers. You know, he got an excused absence. Then he goes to a, a gentleman's club and he, he gets a, a picture taken. Some rapper takes a picture of him. And it's right. like, dude, really? Come on. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, it's all over the place. It's like Dennis Rodman. I'd love to see, I know he did the 30 for 30, but I'd love to see like an eight part series on him and dive into the points. Cause who wow, knows? It would be suitable for TV. I yeah. tell you that. <laughs> That's just it. I mean, if Dennis Rodman was playing in this era, first of all, some of the things he did with the hair and everything would seem normal because it's, it's a little bit more, you right. know, but then when you dive into what he's doing, I mean, the fact that they let him go to Vegas and he just didn't show up for, but you know, know what the thing was, he, you know what, they knew how to, they knew how to play his buttons. Right. And it's like one of the, 10 million that would ask for something like that. He's the only guy you would grant yeah, that to. Right. Absolutely. It's just so different. The thing that, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff that he does, but I, his play on the court, his unselfishness, he knows he's not a scorer, but he knows he can rebound. Right. He knows he can block shots. Yeah. He knows he can pass and he can set picks. That ain't bad. Yeah. That's, that's the full treatment. And then he's, he deserves his spot in the hall of fame. He really does. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he was so fun to watch, man. And again, he's just like still, you know, even with him. And as much as we know about him, there's still like that element of man. I'd just like to know more about what he got yeah. up to or inside yeah. that head. Hey, yeah. real quick, and, and I don't want to keep you too long. I know you got to get get out of here in a second. You and looking at your career, obviously radio, TV, and you had to deal with. You mentioned '94, where you felt like you're on on somewhere where you felt like you, all of a sudden you're you had a place. ESPN. You joined the Mariners, and when and now it's been 13 years in the same spot where you go to the same building every single day. You're not sort of doing this and then jumping onto that next opportunity. First of all, how did, how did the Mariners come about? Um, well, I had had the baseball experience. I did 93, 94 ESPN. Then I did a couple of games in 04, 05, just you know, one or two here and there. Yeah. And I had made contact with Kevin Martinez, who you know. Yeah. And it turned out Kevin had gone to school with my brother-in-law at Syracuse late 80s while I'm at WNBC and their radio, their important radio station. Hey, can you do some liners for me? So I do some liners for him and that's how we met. Yeah. And then I, I came to Seattle and did a couple of games when he was working here. And I said, hey, if anything ever happens here, you know, you know, here's my, you know, my yeah. number. 
So long story short, right after Halloween 06, I get a call from my brother-in-law. and says, Kevin says, Ron Fairley's uh, leaving the ball club and uh, you may want to put in. I said, yeah, get out of here. Right. Ron Fairley was doing, play, it was doing color. So then I get a call a couple of days later. And Kevin says, hey, I got your name and my name on the line here, pal. What are you doing? Send me a tape. Right. So I sent him a tape. And uh, they brought me in for an interview. And I beat like 100, got beat out 100 guys. Wow. Guys who had had, and, and a lot of guys who had had more uh, uh, experience, uh, you know, longer, had done a lot more uh, games than I'd done. Yeah. Baseball-wise. But, you know, at that time, I was doing NFL every week. I was doing college football, college yeah. basketball. I was doing all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I'm a broadcaster. And, and I got the job. And, you know, I've been, you know, thankful and happy to be here. I mean, I, I love what I do. So you even even you know going into that situation, you still have to send the tape in. They still oh, have to watch you know watch oh, yeah. it. You still have to yeah. nail it in the interview. It's not something where you just roll in and say, "Yeah, I'm available." Oh wow, look at your history, boom. Well, yeah, to that point, you know, was, I was lucky. One of the games I think in 04, 05, I did a Mariner game. I remember Brett Boone did a home run straight away center field. It was amazing. That my my agent at the time had that tape and made that a part of the, the presentation. Oh, nice. And I'll never forget this one woman who was on, I guess, on the search committee said, he was the only one that had a Seattle Mariner thing. Well, I like total serendipity, and it worked out really well. I mean, you know, so, um, no, it, 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 it's, been, it's been good. I've enjoyed my run here. I really have. And you enjoy covering the same team every single day? Yeah, it, you, know, it's, you know, it's better because I had the experience of doing, as Gary Cohen of the Mets said, hey, you no longer have to parachute in and out of games. You've got right. your team. It's yeah. a constant. You know everybody. They know you. They're comfortable with you. The fans will get comfortable with you and you with them as opposed to – and there's nothing wrong with this, but, you know, when you're doing ESPN, all right, I'm going to be in Chicago. Next week I got the Cubs and the Brewers. Next week I right. got to go to L.A. And, you know, I have a better feel when I'm – you know, I'm doing – the continuity is tremendous. Yeah. I mean, I know Mike Trout. I know all the guys in the American yeah. League. Hey, man, Hawaii, go up and get a couple minutes with you. you know? Right. So, it, I like this a lot. I really do. Yeah. Really. Do you um okay, so just going back to that, I'm going back to that winter meetings in the um convention center. You've got thirty wannabe Dave Sims in front of you, right? Twenty year old kids. What are some things you you tell them? What are the big the, the big keys? If if I'm a young broadcaster, yeah. I, I want to hear from from one of the best. What what do you tell them? Well, I always tell them the golden rule is always in effect. You gotta be able to work with it, work with it in a team environment environment. Uh I always tell the younger kids, if you're still in high school or college, get involved with theater okay. because that would, in terms of self-confidence, being out in front of a crowd, uh, and even if, you're, if you were just raising a curtain, you're around people who do that. And wow. by osmosis, you can pick up a lot of great information. You know, uh, if you're in college, go to your, go to your uh, theater department and ask uh, to partake in, in uh, breathing exercises, voice lessons, that kind of stuff. And then, you know, if... If, if you want, if you want to be a sports broadcaster, I take it you already know the game, know the rules, yeah. and be able to put, uh, you know, learn how to put the end of a game together, know how to do an open, know how to, yeah. you know, work in your partner, know how to, you know, to, to take throws, get, and then now with technology, with iPads, iPhones, and all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. you have implements that you can practice. You can practice like for hours at a time, yeah. and you can play it back. You can be, and you're, you're going to be your own you know, toughest judge. Right. And, and then the other thing, you look at people who are successful in the business and what makes them successful. What do you like about what they do? What don't you like? You know, you take a little here, take a little there. But the main thing is you got to be yourself. Yeah. And don't be afraid to ask questions. I mean, I mentioned earlier, when I was a writer, I would, I can remember even I called him two weeks ago, Vern Lundquist just had his 80th birthday. And I told him, I, I, I had his number because I'd always see him during the NCAA tournament and when he was covering some other stuff. But anyway, I said, you were always good to me. You're always asking my couple of three questions uh, and a lot, and I, a lot of broadcasters. And, and I, that's why it's incumbent upon me, you know, when, when young kids write or ask a critique of tape, yeah. you know, if I don't have time then I eventually get to it and do it. But you know, in terms of advice, just be a good person. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. And just be ready to work your ass off. And you're going to get rejections. And you know what? You mourn for five minutes and then you move on. Right. Did you work on your voice? I took uh, uh, voice and voice lessons with the uh, – matter of fact, 
I took, I did some in college. And then when I got my WNBC job, I, I didn't feel comfortable and I wanted to know where I felt. Mm. And they hooked me up with a, a woman who was a voice teacher who worked with Broadway people. I remember going up to her apartment um, on the Upper West Side in the like, 80s, you know, you know Manhattan, yeah. the Upper West Side in the 80s somewhere. And we would do these crazy exercises, but they work. And, and it was, I was, I was going to ask, because my wife, you know, actress, she's like, you got to work on your voice. She goes, I can tell when you're nervous because you start, you know. And all these crazy exercises, I'm sitting there yeah. like, uh, if anyone out the window is watching me. Yeah. They work. They, they, they work. They just, the big, yeah. biggest yeah. thing. You got to sit up straight all the time. Right. And then that way you get the whole flow, yeah. you know, from top to bottom and back. It's a beautiful thing. Man. Right. Awesome. Dave, this has been fun. I could keep you for two hours, but I know you got a game to get to. But uh, this has been a blast, man. I appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, man. All the best. Keep up the good work, man. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Dave. How are we doing, guys? Hope you enjoyed that episode with Dave Sims. Now, remember to click subscribe. I've got some insane guests coming up, all walks of life. Um, can't wait to bring them on. So make sure you click subscribe. Go to YouTube. I'm going to put all this stuff up on YouTube. I'm slowly getting that going. But I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And also, too, send me a message. You can click the contact uh, page or the Get In Touch page, sorry, on the website, www.thetopstep.com. Go over there. Uh, shoot me an email. So, give me some feedback. Tell me who you want to hear from. And uh, I'll make it happen. But uh, glad you enjoyed that episode. We'll be back next Monday. Enjoy that baseball. And there's no fans. Stay masked up. Masked up. Masked up. Keep that mask on. All right, guys. We'll see you, mates. We'll see you next week. Killing them. Killing them. Killing them.